take a moment to peek into the lives of inspirational people living the true definition of happiness with author, presenter, personal stylist and coach Moana Robinson who chats to people who have overcome challenges to live their best life. Moana is a passion and purpose coach and a personal stylist who empowers others to discover their best life and style regardless of age. Here is Moana. Everybody who's listening is going to be so inspired by <laughs> Amelia's story. She's actually got so many stories and so many fascinating aspects to her life that we could probably talk for hours, but she has got mm-hmm. a book which we'll tell you about as well. Amelia, I might just ask you to introduce yourself. Now, um, thanks, thanks, Mo, for asking me to uh, do the podcast. Um, oh, to tell you the truth, identity is uh, such a big question. Um, and I, I, I know I've got a, a pretty impressive list of achievements, um, but for me it's actually not what have you done or who are you, but it's why do you do those things. My name's Amelia. Um, I'm a 45-year-old teaching school principal. Um, there's 56 kids in my little school, so I teach uh, three and a half, four days a week, and then I'm supposed to be the principal in one, which is almost impossible, but never mind. Um, <laughs> I do like a challenge. Um, I'm the mum of two great kids. They're 21 and 23 now. Um, I'm halfway through a PhD. I've written a book, which is Dirt and Dust, which we'll talk about later. And um, in the middle of creating a children's picture story book. So, yeah, so I live in a little country town um, in Queensland. I've been a teacher for about 13 years. So I didn't come into teaching until I was a a mum and mature age student and I really made my mind up that that's what I was I was going to do because I wanted to be good at it. Uh, my background is actually in agriculture um, oh, okay. so yeah so I was actually a dairy farmer. <laughs> I did a diploma in agriculture and did all sorts of crazy outdoor stuff which I, I love you know horses cattle all that sort of stuff and then um, just the way that life went yeah I sort of thought that our agriculture background would be well supported by teaching and then I moved to Queensland and circumstances changed and um, I ended up doing my, my teaching degree and I, I knew I needed a, a bread and butter job uh, with my family circumstances. I suppose that's why I thought I'd go into teaching and I've actually loved it way more than I ever, ever imagined. <laughs> I remember going to watch my son in, in preschool or prep when he first started school and I thought, wow, I think I could do this. I This looks like fun and people get paid for this. <laughs> Yeah, and although um, public speaking, you know, presenting myself in front of people is actually my biggest fear. Um, you can see my anxiety already <laughs> um, talking about stuff. It, it is truly my biggest fear, a bit of a challenge to me to just throw yourself in and, and just do it. You know, shut up and do it. <laughs> Everything that I do, I go, oh, just do it. Um, yeah, don't regret doing it. So. Uh, behind all of that is obviously the why. Um, this yeah. Is your why for doing all the amazing things that you've done, <sighs> really. Yeah, yeah, there's there's lots of whys, really. Like I just said about the fear with the, the public speaking and that sort of stuff. I was just such a shy little girl, um, you know, and I still am and people don't believe it because they go, oh, but you've done all these things or you present really well. Yeah, of course I do because I make myself and I don't want to have the regret of not doing the things that I that I know that I'm capable of but might have lacked the confidence. Through school, um, 
I wouldn't answer questions and things like that, I'd, but I knew the answer. I knew the answer. And I might say to the, the person next to me, I think it's blah, blah, you know. And then they'd put their hand up and go, excuse me, miss, I, I know the answer. And I'd be like, you know. <laughs> and so I got to that point where I went, I'm getting ripped off here. Like, <laughs> that wasn't you, that was me. Um, it's happened so many times in my life to the point where I started to go, hang on a minute. That's not fair. And if I borrow somebody's idea or I share something with someone, I will always pay credit because I've been robbed with, you know, of intellect, of, you know, this this effort. And um, so I just went, no, 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 no. I own what I own, but I also, you know, I, I know I'm very capable, but I just have to, I don't know, stick my neck out and, and just do it or just say it and go, oh, well, whatever the outcome of that is. So, yes, I suppose initially that was my just shut up and do it. <laughs> you know, other things happened, like purpose of my book of Dirt and Dust, which I co-wrote with my son, it was actually the story of uh, his dad or my husband's um, suicide or the circumstances around that. Um, and, and my son and I did this motorbike ride from Cairns to Cape York. So it was 1,400 kilometres. And it was literally the last family bucket list item. And, and we didn't intend to do all of the bucket list items when my husband passed away, but one by one they sort of came up and, and just said, Mum, yeah, again, it's another one of those shut up and do it. Yeah, stop talking about it. Just go and do it. You know, yeah. we're just, we're just going to do it. You and me, we're going to do it. So we waited until he turned 18 and, and I've always been able to ride a motorbike and not that level of challenge. You know, we're talking about rainforests. We're talking about sand. We're talking about river crossings. And and I was literally thinking, I don't know if I can do this. And I remember ringing um you know, Roy and Renee from Cape York Motorcycle Adventures. And they were the ones that encouraged me to do the book, actually, because Renee had already done their book, King of the Cape. And Renee was just like, oh, come on. I did my book in 16 weeks. What are you doing? Yours is already written. Just shut up and do it. You know, so when I rang Renee about the motorbike ride, I was like, ah, I, I don't know if I can really do this. Um, you know, it's huge. It's like the biggest motorbike challenge in Queensland. Like, I... I I had no intention of doing this. This was supposed to be my husband and my son and my daughter and I was supposed to be like the pickup crew at the back. Like yeah. things have changed. Like he's passed away now. I've just got to do it. And she's like, we'll get you there. Yeah, shut up and do it. So, yeah, did that. Did the boat, motorbike ride. Amazing. I think I fell off 14 times in 1,400 kilometres. But this is also where I see how men compliment women. You know, so I, I didn't pretend to be this great motorbike rider. I, I knew yeah. I was going to need those men to come along and pick me up. <laughs> yeah. That was so good and um, just great, great blokes. Bonding time with for you and Riley as well, mother and son. And to tell you the truth, I, everybody says that, but I actually don't think we needed the bonding. We're already bonded. No. It was more about this process of literally leaving this terrible tale on the, on the trail behind us. It didn't even talk that much between ourselves on the ride about the stuff, but I knew that it was me processing and just putting things down. And he'd just turned 18. I actually had written the book, most of the book, uh, before the ride. And then we went on the ride and I went, you know what, I think I could probably um, tell the story on the ride, you know, for the purpose of, of, you know, getting it into a book that's more readable for somebody else. And then, um, and someone else had just suggested that to me at a video workshop. Um, they said, oh, why don't you do that? I was like, actually, you know, that's a great idea. And then I was still stumbling around with it. And Renee was like, shut up and do it. Come on, come on. And I was like, ah. Oh. So over one holidays, one school holidays, uh, my son Riley had actually moved out to a cattle station 
and he was there by himself for a couple of weeks. He's on like 1.76 million acres and they're waiting for a changeover of station manager. And I thought, oh, that's not, got a, not a great place to be by yourself for three weeks over Christmas or whatever. And so I said to him, hey, you know, I've had this brainwave. If I want young men or, or people to read this book, I think it would be way better coming from 18-year-old you as a male rather than the teacher, preacher. I can't stand that stuff. Me, I don't want it to be a how-to or a, you know, yeah. self-help book after suicide. And men hate being told what to do, so I'm not going to tell them. <laughs> how, about I, how about I subtly tell them in a story? You know, and not just men. It, it's, it's a book for everybody. Like I've had so many women contact me and say, oh, my God, Amelia, you just told my story. Or I'm the mother of that person. Or, oh, my God, I had no idea how much... Um, you know, impact me being suicidal had on my family around me. Um, and I actually did a podcast with a guy about men's mental health a, a while ago. And he said to me, you know, the first thing I did was actually ring my mom and say, I'm so sorry. Mm. You know, he said, I didn't realize all those times that she just turned up and she was doing what you did. And you were just checking, just going to make an excuse to come and see if you're okay. But you can't tell that person that. You know, and so he got off the off the podcast and said, "Oh my God, I just need to apologise to my mum because yeah, now I know what she did." So by me telling that story, um, it was for the purpose of helping people. It's not about book sales. It's not about any of that. But in that process of me changing the book from me as the narrator into Riley being the narrator, that's when we actually talked about the stuff to do with his dad. And in saying that, it's actually really tough because I don't just have a son, I have a daughter and she was dad's girl. So, you know, as much as there's been so much focus on Riley and I and with the book and everything, in some ways it's my daughter that's missed out more. In some ways I haven't known how to parent that um, because Riley and I have always had this really close connection as I have had with my daughter, but it's just different. And Riley and I are very similar in personality as well. So, and, you know, you see that in the book and even us talking about the book and transferring it from me into his language. And and he just kept saying to me, oh, my God, Mum, like, how did you know that I was thinking that at that time? I said, because I was, you know, and I'd literally look at you and I'd think, oh, I wonder if he's thinking the same as what I'm thinking, you know, but it wasn't until we talked about the book and the process that, and he didn't even want to read the book. He said to me, Mum, I don't want to read it. And I said, how about I read it to you? And we'd do that over Zoom sort of every afternoon while he was wow. out at that station by himself, which was really cool because he'd be like, nah, nah, it's not like that, mum. You know, it's not like this. I was like, oh, okay. You know, and, and it was really funny because I became a character in the story and he could literally make fun of me, which he was, you know, and, and so it made it lighter and easier on yeah. such a tough topic. Mm. I saw myself as like this little cartoon character going along on a motorbike and you know, <laughs> falling off and going, oh, geez, you know, how embarrassing. I just did that again. I was going really slow. I think that's that humility too of, yeah, push yourself beyond what you think you're capable of and then you find out who you really are. And just shut up and do it. Shut up and do it, yeah. you know. You know, when I spoke to you at the book club, um, you know, the book meeting, and I, was, I spoke to you about my trip to Mongolia, that was the same thing, you know. Like who would have ever thought you could ride, you know, camels and yaks and reindeer and horses across, again, 1,300, 1,400 kilometres in a foreign country where you don't speak the language and you go, I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to give it a go. You have to trust that other people are like you and that they will help you and if you get in trouble, 
I can't speak the langu- language, but I'm going to mime. <laughs> I'm going to smile. I'm going to give yeah. it my best shot. Is there another book coming out about Mongolia? Uh, look, yeah, I've actually got two books on the go. One I can talk about, one I kind of can't. Um, it's um, I'm in the middle of processing that, but part of Mongolia is, is in that one too. Um, but, yeah, but the one that I can talk about at the moment is um, The Flower Thief and... Um, it's actually a children's picture storybook. Um, we, I think we briefly spoke about this. And, you know, this is a story that um, I tell taxi drivers, I tell truck drivers, I tell people who I meet who, who just think that they are such ordinary people. People do amazing things. Oh, they do. To, for example, um, you know, a principal conference. I don't know. I'm just someone. Um, or you go to an author meet and greet. I don't know. I'm just someone. It's not me, me being mean or rude, but I kind of refuse to wear a name tag if I can get away with it because I think if people want to know who you are or they want to know your story, they'll ask. And I think that's how we got talking. Um, yeah. or, or you Or you share something with them and then they share something back. And to me, that's how... Um, conversations really should go with your with your husband and the bike ride in Mongolia they are amazing stories but I would love you to share that story about the the, the flower thief yeah in a country school lots of people make assumptions that you're going to get oh really nice farmers kids or you know what sometimes you don't <laughs> sometimes you get rough end um those kids I love them more because they actually need more. You know, you never look down. You just, I think my job is actually getting people, particularly kids, to the to the bottom of the stairs. You get them to the bottom of the stairs and you you sort of encourage them to take that first step. And then when they take that first step, you go, yes. You know, it's about presenting them choices. But this particular boy was uh, 11 or 12 at the time. Um, I taught him for a year or so already. I knew his story. It was a story of not great circumstances. My husband died. I didn't know that it was him, but someone would leave a little flower on my desk every day, every morning for about three or four months. And morning I'd be marking the roll at my computer and I'd say, oh, thank you to the flower thief. You make my day. You know, days were tough, man. You know, like you just look rubbish and you don't sleep and you don't eat and grief just grabs you and you're just functioning it could have been another teacher at my school I had no idea so then one morning he came I must have got there earlier and he's come running in and he's like oh miss you know this lady chased me down the road today and she said I'm gonna tell your dad and stop picking my flowers and oh my god it's you (laughs) you know and then he's just gone oh he was so ashamed that he'd shared the secret you know, that it was him. And oh, I, he went outside and, and you know, he, he hid and he was nearly crying. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, you know, from a kid that's come from such a troubled background and such crappy circumstances, it's you and it's consistently you and it's you every day. And, yeah, it was just amazing. Anyway, he, he never brought me any more flowers. Um, it was like, not done. Now the kids copycatted that for about two years. So for me, I call that, um, you know, a legendary story of kindness. I'm a bit of a, a joke, um, but when he was in year 10, it was like, you know, he knew that I, I called him the flower thief and this absolute kindness. And um, unfortunately, that that boy um, 
was killed in a car accident. Mm. Um, yeah, about oh, coming up two years now. And I, I'd actually written his story while he was alive. I'd written that story. Yeah. And it was going to be in dirt and dust. And um, when when he passed away, I thought, no, I'm going to take him out of dirt and dust as the flower thief. And, you know, he deserves his own story. And and at the time I actually took long service leave because I was looking after my mum and dad in, in Melbourne um, and COVID was on and all that stuff. And and um, when he passed away, I flew back to Queensland for the funeral and I rewrote the story on the plane and told the story at his funeral. And I don't know if anyone understood a word I said because I blubbered my way through that. <laughs> yeah, when, you know, you do the whole final goodbye and you walk away. And I was so sad, but I just went, you know what, you've got freedom. You, you are at peace. And, um, you know, he just turned 18 and I literally just blew him a kiss and went, I'll have a beer with you later. Yeah. You know, it was just one of those, like, I, you know, you're a big boy now. Like, yeah, uh, so bloody sad. But but that is a story of legendary kindness and it's one that deserves to be told because, you know, when people think they are just the taxi driver or they're just the whatever, no, no, you're not. You, it's what you do every day in a day. You know, talking to a taxi driver yesterday, I had to go and pick up my motorbike from in town and you know, there's no one to pick me up and take me in. So I just went... You know, whatever, I ring the taxi, guy came out, it's a bit fair way from town, had a chat, just the taxi driver. I said, no, no, your job is a helper in society. Yeah. I said, you just told me that you took some some old people to the hospital. And I said, if that's my mum, I'd want it to be you. Uh, I'd want you to stop and help pick up her bag because my husband was sick or, you know, I, I need to know she got home safely because someone like you took her. I just went, oh, thank you so much. And I said, no, no. It's, it's what you do every day and how you do it. I've touched his life that day just by saying that. A few ah, words. We are all capable of that. It just doesn't happen enough. It's actually the, the, some of the conversations that I shared with the kids in my classroom about grief and, yeah, just sharing that. And then when the, the flower thief young man actually passed away, all the kids that went to school with him, you know, they were at the funeral um, and they were, like, looking at me and I'm looking at them and I just said, you know, you you do know you all mean that much. You you all do. It wasn't just him. You guys looked after me. You got me through, you know, like you're my kids. It's just, mm. it's huge. So I hope they know that they're special and they don't have to die to be special. I, I could, yeah. So that, and they were all a part of that legendary kindness because when the flower thief didn't bring any more flowers, guess what they did? And, and you know what? It's okay to copycat something that's really kind. You know, if you can't invent that or innovate that or imagine that yourself it's it's okay to copy something that's kind the initial kid was him it was him oh, so yeah. Kind. Yeah. yeah yeah and he created that ripple without knowing without, ah, he was doing and, that yeah. and it deserves to live on you yes. know that's why I want to write the book the book is it's been written for ages um yeah. and one of my teacher aides at my school here she's only a young lady herself and um I realized one day she could she could illustrate she could draw she just drew something on the board I went did you draw that she was like yeah I said oh my god I just found my illustrator so yeah. she's she's experimenting with the the illustrations for the book at the moment so you know hopefully I'll go back to work next week and she'll be like ta-da this is what I've done um, is she and she the had same one that took the video of your son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So yeah, so Mary, Mary Allen, she's amazing, yeah. um, and she's a bit like me in the way that she was quiet and reserved, and mm -hmm. you know. And I just said, "Oh my God, I just see so much talent. You can, she can literally sing. Holy smoke, she can sing. Um, you know, she stood in at our little 
Christmas carols because um, the kids couldn't sing all those songs. And she's holding back, holding back. And I'm like, oh, my God, Mary, if you let loose, they would hear you in the next town. She can dance, you know, um, she can draw. She just has this most beautiful personality with some of the mm. toughest kids. And she created actually... the music for the video, didn't she, the music? Well, that's actually another girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alison. Uh, so my son Riley works out on this cattle station um, on the Northern Territory Western Australian border. It's, it's like a small country. <laughs> it's massive. Um, and so, yeah, went out there and, and just this time last year, actually, I went, went out there and I bought a video camera on my way through Darwin, um, literally just chucked around with him for a week on this, this 1.76 million acres and um, filmed pretty much everything that he did. Yep. I was just a proud little mummy uh, <laughs> for a week. And, um, yeah, and then so I flew in on the mail plane on the Thursday, flew back out the following Thursday, and when I got back, um, I gave Mary the, the video footage and said, hey, Mary, you know, do you reckon you could just cut this down and make it look like something? You know, there's a local film festival. It would be really cool if we threw in for that. Um, another kid that I'm so very, very proud of who's in the Army now, he um, he told his story as part of that story and we won the film yep. festival as a student entry a couple of years ago. So I said, hey, it would be really cool if we just threw in this video that we've made of Riley. So Mary cut the video down, the footage down. And then I, the audio was terrible, so I rang one of Riley's other friends, who, she, again, she's 21, 22, 23 now, and um, I said, hey, Alison, you're a country music singer. Do you reckon you could write a song to go with this? She's like, sure, love to. What do you want? And I said, oh, I don't know, something that goes like this. Riley and Alison and I just threw the words together, and then Mary went back and matched the, the footage to go with the, the song um, as best that we could, and we just went, ta-da, sat there on, on YouTube and... Um, and actually so funny, another funny story that came out of that. And, you know, I'm just a proud mum. My son Riley has moved into like greater operator and stuff like that at the moment. And um, another fella who actually saw the video when it had about 80 views, he saw the Desert Ball Runner video on YouTube yeah. at about 80 views. And then um, he's actually landed out there as the Desert Ball Runner. And he said to Riley when he got there, I didn't realise that I was applying for a job at this place. He said, but I saw your video. And he goes, you're the Desert Ball Runner. And Riley turned around and said, no, actually, now you're the Desert Ball Runner. <laughs> I'm the greater driver. <laughs> so, so funny. But he just said, you know, I applied for that job because I thought, hey, I'd really like to do that. Um, and I've had ex-students of mine who were in high school who are now, you know, young young adults out there and they're like, oh, I wish I could do that. I'm like, well, you can. Mm. You know, you can. There's nothing yeah. you can't do and there's not enough people out there doing those jobs. And I just, you know, I've had other friends of Riley say, God, I wish I was as brave as your kids to go and do what they, they've done. And I said, there's mm. nothing stopping you. There's, no. And I don't want you to have the regret later when you go, well, you know, I could have been a truck driver in the mine, but I didn't have enough confidence to go or I didn't apply for the job or, you know, like that's what my daughter's doing right now and I'm so proud of her at 21. Um, you know, it's a tough gig in man land out there. I was going to ask you what your daughter's doing. Yeah, yeah. she drives trucks, um, the big dump trucks. Um, you know, she she got that job all by herself. I'm so proud of that. Both my kids doing exactly that. I, there's, there's been no hand-ups from mum. Sometimes it's been a kick in the backside of, but you've been um, an awesome role model. Well, I think, I, you know, when my daughter went overseas for a couple of months um, earlier this year um, and I was having a sook to one of my friends, I was like, oh, I hope she's okay. <laughs> They're like, oh, my God, Amelia, shut up. You cannot you cannot complain. Like you gave them their wings and, and they're flying. And I was like, I know, but I'm just worried about her. And they're like, do you think your mum wasn't worried about you when you went to Mongolia? What did she say? Oh, 
Only you'd be crazy enough to ride a reindeer towards freaking Russia right now, Amelia. I was like, it's okay, yeah. Mum. The Russians are looking the other way. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about shut up and let them do it. <laughs> and just cheer. Just keep cheering. Just go, yeah, go you. You know, yeah. but like I said before, you've just got to trust and believe that, you know, if you're broken down on the side of the road with your motorbike, that someone's going to stop and go, hey, mate, are you right? Oh, can you help me pick this thing up? Because that actually happened to me about a few months ago. Um, help, please. They're like, you know, and, and do you know what? I think there's a huge, huge benefit in being female. I, I actually do. Yeah. There's all this stuff about, about you know, feminism. And oh, I my job has made me a stronger feminist. It has because, you know, the pushback that you get um, automatically. Mm. But I, there's extremists of everything, um, and I know that I operate somewhere in the middle. Um, but God, we need men, and we need we need good men, strong men, honest men, reliable men, <sighs> passionate men. You know, um, my ultimate goal with my with my son, and and this this was a huge fork in the road with my relationship with my husband, and it was the beginning of the end. Yeah. You know, I literally had to stand there and and go, you can't treat me like that because at that time we've got a 15-year-old son and a 13-year-old daughter and if I let you continue to treat me like that, I'm saying to her, this is what you tolerate and I'm saying to him, you can treat someone else like that. That can't happen. It can't happen again. It was me making a stand on, on what was I knew and I knew oh, today could be the day, you know, because it wasn't a, it wasn't a surprise suicide. It was a, a long, long, long time coming. Make that stand is huge. Um, but I also knew. It's a responsibility to look after themselves, really, isn't it? Like uh, mentally, emotionally, and reach yeah. out for help when you need help, but not to rely on someone else to make you feel good. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, you know, it's such a tough lesson and I clearly didn't learn it tough enough. The word healer gets gets thrown around a lot and, 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 and it's quite likely true, but I see it more as empathetic. And, you know, I had an interesting interaction with someone only a couple of weeks ago and it was in regard to a, a kid at my school. And it's a troubled child, very troubled. And you know, I, again, I just go back to that. Yeah, but why? That's not that kid's fault the crappy circumstances around that kid's life sometimes it comes down to greedy parents because they're so so self-centered and I sometimes say you know I was a high school teacher and now sometimes I feel like I'm having the same conversations with parents that I was having with 15 year olds those 15 year olds are way more empowered because they go oh my god I'm this close to making my own decisions and I'm like yeah you are I'd I'm going to help you get to the bottom of the stairs and you're going to take the first step and then you're good to go. Sometimes parents, they've already given up hope. And I'm like, no, this is where you grit your teeth. This is where you you do your damn best for your kids. You don't just give up or you don't just go, oh, well, or he's naughty. No, why? And what are you going to do about that? And, you know, and they're my, they're my biggest questions all the time. And sometimes people want to go and listen to you famous speakers or motivational people or whatever and I just go no reason why I don't wear a name tag you know you learn your best lessons from people that are doing the job oh you know, so like, true. yeah uh, this interaction that I had with a, a professional in my my field so many times when I've been grappling with what have I, what have I done or that didn't turn out how 
I thought or grappling with that stuff again at the moment going ah why didn't this work or what happened there I don't want to second guess people things I just put in my best effort every time and this person in an interaction about a particular child in my work and he just said look it's almost like sometimes um, you as the teacher have to be strong enough to tolerate the trauma that this kid brings um, so that you can build the relationship to take the step forward I said I know and I said, I'm so glad you said that because I've done, I feel like I've done that in two relationships where I've tolerated the trauma to the point where it's, it probably is drowning me. Um, but I, I stood there because I didn't want to abandon the other person because that was their biggest fear. And I've grit my teeth and I've done my best and I've loved things better. Yeah, but in, in the case of a child that's never had somebody to do that for them, I do. I do think you have to wait until they make a good choice. In this interaction, this person said to me, you know, it's, a, it's um, yeah, tolerating that trauma. And then in, you know, 90% of the other conversations I've had with people, I was like, Amelia, your, your boundaries need to be stronger. And so that validating conversation with that person, I thought, oh, my God, I've done the right thing for me in those relationships that I've had with other people because I know I did what I needed to do to help them get where they needed to do. If they didn't choose what I thought that they were going to choose, okay, well, that's the bit that I have to learn to let go of. And that is why I went on the, the trip to Cape York. It is why I went on the trip to Mongolia because I just had to get me to that place where I went, I know I did my best, my very best. There's nothing left in the tank, nothing. But if they didn't choose what I thought they were going to choose, okay, now I have, to, I have to let it go. And that's my biggest work. That's my biggest personal work is they just go, okay, I'm, I'm satisfied with what I did in that. And I'm, I've been shamed, I've been blamed, I've been accused, I've been, you know, all that terrible stuff. And I go, but I'm, I'm not ashamed of what I did because I know I did my best. And so therefore in my circle of influence of the children that I work with, I just say to them, that's good. Is that your best work? Is that your best behaviour? And if it's not, it's not up to me to tell you what you need to do. You have to do that bit because otherwise this just becomes punish and reward and I don't operate on punish and reward. You know, I, I know I'm philosophically different to a lot of people in the education sector. Um, I, I know there's so much black and white, right or wrong. You know, we're getting to a place where people are considering more open-mindedness and things like mm. that, but particularly when you're working with high-trauma kids or or kids that don't have reliable adults or they don't know how to find good people and they feel let down or they feel hard done by or they've got that learned helplessness or that lack of hope. And, and there's something that I really detest and that is false hope. Mm. Don't ever give anyone false hope because when they, you know, when they realise that's not true, it's like you lied to them. I didn't, I didn't lie. I won't lie. But I will present you with the truth. Um, so that you've got level ground to stand on and make good decisions. And, and I do see that that's my role as an educator. That's been my role as a partner. That's been my role as a mum. And, you know, my work with my PhD is, is about finding reliability um, and, and things that work for small schools like me in rural, regional, remote communities um, because we struggle to get staff, keep staff, um, you know, because they're complex. They're really complex. It's my contribution back to my profession. And it essentially comes down to the fact that I've been loved and looked after in my job, in my 
in my roles um, and and I just want to make that easier, better for other people. You know, why are we all reinventing the wheel all the time? Surely there's lessons to be learned from what we've all done over and over and over. Someone's just got to put that stuff together and go, hey, I think this could work. Doesn't, that's fine. Well, we know that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. What advice would you give to someone who may be going through a challenge and <clears throat> has not got to that stage that you got to? Like maybe... Um, when you were at a time when you were feeling down, how do you reach down to those reserves and deal with all the crap that life throws at you? Ah, oh, that's so tough because I, I feel like I've just reprocessed all that stuff a second time. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm standing here so I can't, somehow I made it. There's a network of people who come out of the woodwork. I know when my husband died... I had people and it was because it was shocking news to most people. It wasn't that surprising to me. Yeah. It was, a, like I said before, a long time coming. Um, but I had people contact me who I hadn't spoken to for 20 years since I'd been at high school and they just said, oh, my God, I, is there anything I can do? And I said, no, but thank you for contacting me. Mm. And they just would then reveal a story like, you were the only person that spoke to me for three years at high school. I was the nerd. I was the reject. I was the loser. I was the whatever. And there was that one day when you walked home with me from school mm -hmm. and and that saved my life. And I went, what? So it really is looking around to see how you can help other people. Absolutely. There's something that I did a, a number of times when I, I felt really lonely and it was when my kids grew up and left and, I again, I wanted them to have their wings and fly. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, this is the next part of life for me and it's really uncomfortable because um, I've always been a mum. I've always been a carer. They would literally lay in bed and I'd send 10 text messages. I'd be like, hey, how are you going? How's your day? What are you up to? It's the weekend. You know, and I'd send 10 and not yep. necessarily expect anything back. Mm -hmm. um, but it would start the conversation and it wasn't that's about cool. me and it wasn't about my sadness. Some people don't reply. That's okay. Some people go, mate, I was just thinking about you. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, you know, I was thinking about you. Just And it, nothing in it other than just connection, just connection. So I think sometimes you don't know what it is that you do today or you don't know what you did 20 years ago. <laughs> that actually comes up later but I just think if you are a good kind person and, and you just got to choose kindness first and mm -hmm. sometimes yeah look there's some bad stuff that's happened and you go man I want to fight back on that or, you know or I want to push back and but if it's happened you can't change it things happen yeah. and they're out of your control it's all about how we deal with it and sometimes it's other people's perceptions of what they think has happened my first default is not to blame somebody else in, in fact Sometimes I think I'm overly responsible um, and I think that's actually a trauma response is that you go, oh, hang on, what should I have done? Oh, what could I have done better? You know, oh, I won't do that next time. My husband died. I, there was, it sounds terrible, but there was actually relief because, you know, danger or threat or anticipation was gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's a terrible. It's understandable. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is when you've been through that level of, Ah, yeah, yeah hypervigilance, walking that fine line, the tightrope, um, you know, keep my kids safe, don't upset things, no yeah. one needs to know, uh, just function right now, you know, all of that stuff. Um, but I decided that I didn't want 
uh, grief or loss um, to make me tired or sad or angry or bitter. Um, and I caught myself a few times. Oh, one time I was coming down the, the stairs outside my classroom and I'd given a kid an absolute serve, a high yeah. school kid. He'd stolen something off my desk mm-hmm. and I knew it wasn't anyone else because it was a new kid um, yeah. and no one else no one else graffitied, no one else stole things, no one else wrecked stuff. It was just we got it to a place where it was just good. I should be able to leave my handbag on my desk. It could be $6,000 in there and I need to know that you're not going to take it. I should be able to trust you. And anyway, this kid stole something. It wasn't $6,000 off my desk. But, you know, um, yeah. it, was, it was just something. And I thought, ah, oh, and I was so wild. And I absolutely gave it to him. Not me. That wasn't my normal, normally my response, but I was just so disappointed. And it was not long after my husband had died. Anyway, he went down the stairs and I thought, right, that's done. It's done. But as I went down the stairs, my God, <laughs> I saw my face in the reflection of the windows and I was like, who the hell is that bitch? Oh, my God, it's me. And I thought, any wonder people run a mile. Like when when I've got, well, filth, you know, I was like, wow, holy hell, she scared me. (laughs) I look like that. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be, you know, so I just thought you cannot hang on to that. No pain. And I apologised to that kid. And I said, look, you know, the thing that you did was probably this big. Yeah. My reaction at that time was probably this big because yep. of everything else. And I said, and you don't know my story mm. um, and I actually don't know yours. So let's just get that bit right. And um, that kid was like that with me after that because I was honest and I, I said I'm sorry. And and he will remember that for the rest of his life. Yeah, because I bumped into him in the supermarket a little Oh, after I published the book and yeah. um, it was so funny because he was working there and he's a big fella now he's got a moustache and you know whatever tattoos yeah. and stuff and I'm walking down the aisle of the supermarket and he's like oh my god miss <laughs> and I was like oh my god and then he's like ran and like picked me up and he's like oh. me, fling me around he's like my mom told me that you published the book it just takes that Amelia you have been <clears throat> absolutely amazing Thank you so much, but I just can't can't believe the value that you've given during this chat. So many pearls of wisdom just from just you being you. So I really, and, really yeah, appreciate it. And to tell you the truth, I, I read your little uh, your little prompts um, when you sent them through about the sort of things that you ask, and and I I literally was so. I said to myself, I, I don't really want to answer those. <laughs> and this morning I got up, I thought I should, I should look at those again. And I thought, you know what? no, I want to ask. I didn't even want to really ask you any questions because I love the way your stories just unfold. I don't ever want anything to be uh, premeditated or calculated. Or I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to tell these things because it's the, it's the, you know, the questions that you ask and I respond and then. You know, and then you add your beard, and it's it's always that shared experience. I would have listened to you for hours at that party, and then when you told me about the video, and I went and got my phone, and I looked it up straight away, and I watched the video, and I just loved it. So I'll put a link to the video on here as well, as oh, well cool. as a link to your website and your Facebook page, and I really encourage people to purchase your book because it's just amazing. Yeah. Thank you. 
thank you so much for chatting today and hopefully we bump into each other again at one of Natasha's great parties. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. Okay, have a great rest of the day. Bye. Thank you for listening to Take a Moment with Moana Robinson. Remember to visit her website, bestyleforlife.com.au and book a time for a further conversation.